they each will carry it. <clears throat> Lucas is fuller. But when Jesus went into Jerusalem on that Sunday before the crucifixion, uh, he went in offering himself as their king. That's a bit confusing for us because uh, we know he wasn't going to be their king, that he was going to die by the end of the week. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a genuine offer. He would have been their king. Uh, he had been planned to be their king. God knew they would reject him. And so God made an alternative plan. Uh, the plan that we enjoy as, as, as our salvation. God, God, God worked it all out. But Israel are a special nation. There is no nation like Israel, nor has there ever been. Uh, Israel were created, if you like, uh, for this moment. They were created so that Jesus would come uh, through them and he would be their king. Um, God took Abraham uh, and he, he, he literally bred a whole nation of people from them uh, with the plan that they would um, bring the Savior into the world and that the world would be saved through them. And in this moment, they reject it. All that history, all that planning, all of it, they miss it. They just, you and I can miss it with God too. And we need to be careful that when God speaks, we respond and we say yes. And we do what he would have us to do. Uh, because some moments never come back to you. Israel will have a moment again when Jesus comes to rule the world, but there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt for them. Uh, between their rejection and between their final receiving of the Savior. Um, but let's look at it and then see if we can apply it to our lives. Um, Luke chapter 19, we're going to begin at verse 29 and read through the whole uh, account. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in that which <clears throat> at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat, loose him, and bring him hither. Uh, something to note there, nobody ever sat in this, nobody ever rode this donkey before. Now, I know donkeys have a name for being stubborn, and they have a name for being <clears throat> rebellious creatures, but you know donkeys can book like a horse? Uh, I found out that the country cousins had me up on a donkey when I was about 10. And they, they, they told me it would be fine. They got me up on the donkey. I got up on the donkey. I don't know why I did. You know, you look back, nobody else was getting up on the donkey. Uh, I, I suppose I was trying to prove myself to the country cousins. They got me up on the donkey. And then somebody whacked the donkey. And I sp spent about three seconds on the donkey's back after that. And I landed on uh, a granite stone. And it, it winded me completely. I thought I was dead. But I learned, you know, donkeys are not the uh, just stubborn, easy creatures they are. But Jesus here takes a donkey that had never been sat upon. I don't want to make too much about it, but you know that he's Lord of everything. He can subdue the donkey even. He is Lord of all. There's nothing that's not under his control. And so here's a donkey that never man had sat on, sat on. And two of the accounts mention that. And he sits on him and rides him because he's Lord of all. You can be at peace. He is Lord of all. He is in control of all of it. Um, and they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. 
And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice uh, for all the mighty works which they had seen. These people have seen Jesus' miracles. They have seen the works that he did. They've seen the power that flowed from him. And um, they're rejoicing. He's it. He's the Messiah. He's the king they've waited on. He's the one that they've long waited on. And they are rejoicing in the fact that he's, that he's here. There's two groups. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment, though, right? <clears throat> Verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. They sang Hosanna. Uh, Lord, save now. <clears throat> uh, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, Jesus is saying to them, this moment that you're missing, I couldn't stop the disciples from, from singing in Hosanna. And if I did, the stones would cry out. Everything in history is geared to this moment, and you're, you don't get it. You don't see it. There's no way to stop this moment, right? And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. Jesus wept over it in the midst of the triumph, in the midst of the praise, in the midst of all of it. He wept because they were missing it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They didn't know the time of their visitation. They didn't recognize the king. They chose not to recognize him. And so Jesus said, the price will be high. The price is always high when we don't recognize him. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of the truth that you give us. Now, Lord, would you help us as we look to it this morning to lay hold upon truth and let it work in our hearts and lives and do, its, do your bidding. And, Lord, may we respond to it and may we let you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, first of all, he rides in on a humble donkey. It's not the, 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 the steed or the uh, white stallion uh, of a great ruler. It's not pomp and circumstance. It's just a humble donkey. It's just uh, uh, the colt foal of an ass. It's just very humble. The other our Lord uh, is humble. John says this, he says, And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, uh, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Do you know the Israel knew this? Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9. They, they, they knew that verse. They, they knew he was supposed to come riding upon a colt. Here they have a signal that this is their, their savior. But they don't get that. They miss it. You see, what they're looking for is they're looking for a leader. They're looking for a king. They're looking for pomp and circumstance. They're looking for somebody oh, who's going to challenge Rome uh, and cast Rome out. They're, they're, they're looking for a deliverer in the human sense where they won't have to actually be under the rule of Rome anymore. 
See, Israel has kind of a, <clears throat> uh, you know, a, 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 a two-faced attitude towards Rome. Right? First of all, they hated Rome because they were uh, an empire once. Under David and under Solomon, they ruled everything around them. Now they don't rule anything. Uh, they don't even rule their own city. They don't even rule their, their, Judah anymore. Uh, the, the Romans rule over them in it. And, and, and that grates on their nerves. That, that gets under their skin. They, they hate the Romans because they're the ones that rule. But <clears throat> there's another side to it. Life under, the, under Rome wasn't all that bad. I mean, Rome would come in, uh, they would brutally conquer a nation, and then they would set leadership in Rome uh, that would rule, leadership in, the, in that nation that would rule. And as long as you kept the rules, you had peace. Rome actually succeeded in bringing a civilization to the world that the world had never known before. Uh, they call it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, but there was a peace that reigned uh, for much of Rome's time. And Israel enjoyed that, right? <clears throat> But the other side of it for them was they, they, they hated them. But in enjoying it, they had to keep the rules. They, they had to keep in with the Roman rulers. And there, there were politics that went on. You see probably that, 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 those politics most clearly between Pilate uh, and the Pharisees when they want to crucify Jesus. You see, Pilate knows there's nothing wrong. He knows that Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. He knows that Jesus is not worthy of death. He, he knows there's no reason for crucifying him. But the, the, the Jews say to him, if you don't, you're not Caesar's friend. Now what that meant to Pilate was, there's going to be a complaint go back from here about me. I'm going to get carpeted in Rome, and who knows what will happen when they get me to Rome. Because the leader was responsible for the nation and for the peace in the nation. So, so what you've got is, uh, you, you, you've got a peace going on between these people, but it's, there's, there's politics going on in it. So the Jews are afraid of disturbing the peace of the situation. And Jesus looks likely to do that. Jesus is dangerous. Uh, he's, he, he, he's somebody uh, that could cause them trouble. And <clears throat> the people want to make him a king. And when he was come nigh even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, when you're making Jesus a king, that's going to get you in the crosshairs uh, of Rome. Rome's going to have a problem with this. They're going to, they're, they're going to have a difficulty with this. And, and they don't want to do that. They, they, they don't want it to get to the place where there's a problem for them. And <clears throat> so Jesus becomes a danger to them for two reasons. The first reason is this. If he becomes a king, uh, Rome will come down on us like a ton of bricks. Uh, they'll destroy us and they'll pull us out of our nation. The second reason is this. They, they, they said this of him, that, that all the world went after him. They were afraid that every, every, the whole crowd was flocking to Jesus. The, that they were losing their, 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 their sway over the people. They were, they were losing uh, the, the goodwill of the people because they were, they were going after Jesus. And so, you know what? They decide he's got to go. He's got to go and he's got to go now. And this week, they're going to set in motion the machinery that's going to take this Jesus out. Why? Because he's going to cost them. And they're not willing to pay the price. 
Pharisees are upset. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that these, if these would hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. They're saying, this is horrific. They, they, they're calling him a king. They're, they're going to make him a king. Master, rebuke, tell them, to, tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop this. Tell them to cut it out. Jesus says, I couldn't. I am their king. I am the one that was sent. I am the one with the power to do it. I couldn't stop them. This moment is, is a moment that was planned from before time began. And there's no way to stop them from doing it. See, they're afraid. In John eleven forty eight, they're, they're afraid that uh, the Romans will come and take away their place. And so they refuse their king. They want the status quo to be as it was. They want things to stay as they were. They want to keep things just happy, just nice. It's not great. There's problems with it, but they want to keep things nice anyway. They, 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 they want to stay on the good side of Rome. They don't want to be in the place where uh, they're, they're, they're looking at a catastrophe and they're looking at the Romans uh, <clears throat> uh, coming down on them. So, so they refuse their king. You know, I think a lot of people are like that when it comes to God. We want God, but we don't want God in our life so much that he causes us trouble. We want God in our lives, but, you know, there's a limit. man wrote a poem, and um, I'll read it for you. He says, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a birth, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. You know, that kind of sums up what we want with God sometimes. And, and, and here's what it is. We want God to come in and actually do what he, we want him to do. We just don't want him kind of taken over. See, the Jews wanted rid of Rome. And they would, be, would have been happy for Jesus to come in and to do that for them. They would have been happy for Jesus to come in and to uh, help them cast off the shackles of Rome and make them a nation. Uh, but they didn't want him if he was going to upend the whole order of things. And Jesus was set to upend the whole order of things. See, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount... He preached a revolutionary sermon that just actually shocked everybody. What he did was, he, he went from just talking about the law and their interpretation of the law to where he was talking about the spirit of the law, who we were supposed to be. Somebody said that the Beatitudes are about us being, not just about us doing that they're about who we are and what we are. So <clears throat> Jesus preached and, and, and he explained things in a whole different context. And the people were astounded because he spoke with authority. In other words, he spoke like he knew what he was talking about because he did. The Pharisees so often were confusing to them. The priests were confusing to them in what they said. But when Jesus spoke these words, he spoke like somebody who knew what he was talking about. And they got it. And so when Jesus talks about coming in, when Jesus talks about a ruling over them, uh, what he's going to do is he's going to change the whole order of things. And I'm sure the Pharisees looked at that situation and they thought, 
you know, listen, <clears throat> we don't want that. You know, we got a good thing going on here. We're in charge. We rule. We got, we're, we're making some money. Rome doesn't mind us making some money. We're, we're doing okay. We've got our respect. We've got what we want. And, um, you know, <clears throat> we'd like rid of Rome, but we don't want a whole new order. You know, we'd like rid of Rome, but we want a warrior, somebody who's going to fight for us. Not somebody who's going to take over and rule over us. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want a God that we can control? A God that will do what we want him to do? A God that when we pray, he comes to our aid and he, he, he does what we need doing? Don't we want a God somehow that we can look to and will actually fall in line with what we want? doesn't do that. When you invite the Spirit of God in, He comes in and He comes in to rule. He comes in as a king. He comes in and He wants you to live your life according to His way. He's not going to be at your beck and call. Now listen, He loves you and He will bless you extraordinarily. But He doesn't come in just to play your game. He doesn't come in just to do what you want Him to do. And you see, we want enough of God to make our lives work. But we don't want enough of God to change it all around, turn it upside down and make it all different. And that's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted somebody who would come in and sort out the Roman situation. But they didn't want their situation sorted out. And you know when God comes in, He always starts dealing with you first, doesn't He? He always starts dealing with the issues in your life first. Now, you want him to deal with that issue over there. And he's saying, yeah, but what about this issue? You see, they wanted somebody who would get rid of the Romans, and Jesus would have done. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He would have gotten rid of the Romans. He's going to come uh, again uh, to the Mount of Olives. And when he does come, uh, he's, going to, <clears throat> he's going to defeat all their enemies. <clears throat> he could have done, but, you know... Really what he wanted to do is he wanted to deal with their hearts. He wanted to sort out what was going on in their hearts. He wanted to deal with them, not do for them. And you see, that's what Jesus wants to do with you and I. He wants to deal with you and I, not just do for us. He wants to work in our hearts. He, he, he wants to make us in the image uh, of himself, in the image of Jesus. He wants to take and change us and make us different. And when we invite him in as king, that's what we're inviting him. That's what we're asking him to do. Now, I understand. You know, you and I don't always get it right. And you and I oftentimes fail. And there are times when we miss it. And there are times when, you know, it's, uh, he wants us to do something and we don't do it. There are, there are times when we balk. But, but understand this, that the reality of Jesus in your life is... God coming in to rule. Your best life is going to be when you submit to that, when you yield to that and you say, yes, Lord. And that's the attitude that we need to have towards this king. That's come. Yes, Lord. And every day he'll have things and he wants you to say, yes, Lord. And there'll be big issues when you look at them and you think, but if I give in to that, I could lose everything. And he wants you to say, yes, Lord. You see, Jesus wants you and I to come into that place of sweet surrender where we let him rule in our lives. But he won't make you. 
He, he never forces you. He, he never makes you do his bidding. He comes in and he says, will you? I'm convinced he's able to tell us what he wants us to do. And I'm convinced that, that we hear what he wants us to do. But he never forces us. It's always a question of, will you? And so Israel is faced with the moment. Their king comes riding in on a donkey as prophesied. Anybody who was aware of the scripture and willing to apply them to Jesus by now has a body of information that's so huge that he can only be the Messiah. And he comes riding into Jerusalem and there's a choice to be made today. Will you receive your king or will you reject him? Will you submit to him or will you stand against him? Will you make him your Lord and King? Or will you refuse him? You know, you and I make that choice, don't we? When do we make it? We make it first of all in salvation. We come to the place where we realize, I need a Savior. I'm not able to save myself. I need a Savior. And you come to that place where you surrender to him in salvation. I can't save myself. Jesus paid the price of my sin. I surrender. I give in. But it doesn't stop there. It goes through our lives, doesn't it? He asks you, will you? And he points out something in your life that offends him. Will you let it go? Will you let me help you? Will you let me step in and take it away? And you and I say, hmm, will I or won't I? We can do that. We can say, we can say no to him. Just like Israel did. Do, do you know the thing, though, that when we say no to him, there's always a price tag on it? And it's always a higher price than the price of saying yes. You know what Israel are afraid of? Israel are afraid that they will lose their place, that the Romans will come and take away their nation. Do you know what happened? They lost it anyway. That's what happens when we say no to him. We, we, we lose it anyway. Don't, don't say no to Jesus. Then Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. <clears throat> now, why is Jesus weeping on this glorious day of triumph? This is the triumphal entry. This is when uh, the king comes to town. This is when everybody is uh, awed at his one. This is when uh, probably, uh, you know, <clears throat> the most accolades he has ever gotten in his ministry is on this day. Because a bunch of people say, yeah, he's it. And so they put him on the colt, and then they're, they're, they're throwing <clears throat> palm fronds, they're, they're throwing their clothes, they're throwing all kinds of things in front of him. <clears throat> they're they're, they're, they're worshipping him as the king. By the way, it's interesting that Jesus never refuses worship. Why? Because he's God. <clears throat> he's, not, he's not likely to refuse it. But, but their worship, this is a great, why is he crying? Why does this double take? Two thoughts. First of all, Jesus is never moved by the crowd, ever. The other, he's moved with compassion to give to them, but they never float his boat, so to speak. And so the fact that they're all happy with him <clears throat> on this occasion really doesn't move him. He's not, he's not going with that moment. See, he's seeing a much bigger moment. 
Oh, he sees the cross for himself at the end of the week. You know, that's, that's for definite. He can see that coming up. He's very much aware of that. He always has been. He's very much aware of the cross. But he sees beyond the cross. He sees the great salvation that's going to come. And he sees this people that are rejecting him. And he sees what's going to happen to them. See, in Matthew 23, a different occasion, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest them that are sent unto thee, killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thee as a hen doth gather her chicks, but she would not. Do you know the problem for Jerusalem? They wouldn't. Do you know what God wanted to do for them? He wanted to protect them from the very things they were afraid of. He wanted to protect this city. He loved this city. He loved this people. He wanted to protect them. But they would not. They were not willing. Do you know that's the heart of God for you and I? He wants to protect, to bless, and to care for. That's his nature. His nature is to do us good. And he is, by nature, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's who God is. God wants to bless you. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I've got, I got to get my act together. I've got to do this and this and this so that God can bless me. No, you don't. You don't have to curry his favor. You're in. You're accepted in the beloved. What you need to do is you need to be willing. You need to be in that place where you're willing to let him do his work in your life. Stop fighting them. Stop letting your fear drive you so that you do your own thing and you don't do what he wants you to do. Stop letting yourself get backed into a corner so that you end up fighting against the one that loves you. He wanted them to be willing and he would have taken care of them. Now, what would it have taken for them to be willing? Well, they'd have had to do what you and I do. They'd have had to come to that place where they say, okay, uh, this may be the end of me, but this is what he wants me to do. I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what happens? There's a death and a resurrection in it. You die, and yet the other side of it is you live, don't you? When you surrender, when you give in, when you let his plan prevail and not yours, it always works out better. You know what? You and I need to do that. We need to do it. Um, Luke 19, 41 and 42. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, This was their day. This was the greatest day Israel was ever going to see. Better than David. Better than Solomon. This was their day. If you had known, uh, in this your day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. Now you can't see them. And he says the days are going to come when thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And they shall lay thee even unto the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation because you didn't get it. 
because you didn't get it, because you didn't understand, because you didn't take on board, because you wouldn't yield, because you would not. And it's kind of, you would not, therefore I cannot. Isn't that amazing? This is Jesus. He controls the donkey. The donkey's inclination is to get this thing off his back as quickly as possible, but not Jesus. He controls the wind and the waves. He can just speak, be calm. And everything goes silent. He controls sickness. He even controls death. He can just speak and everything responds. Nothing can resist his will. He's God. He made it all. And he controls it all. Except you and I. We can resist his will. We can say no. Didn't want a bunch of tin soldiers. Wanted a people that would choose him and would love him because they had chosen him. Wants you to say yes to him. Wants you to say yes to him in the day that he calls, in the moment that he speaks. He wants you to say yes to him. He wants you to develop the habit of saying yes to him. You know, he's in the way of testing us. He's in the way of, uh, of, of bringing situations into our lives that uh, you know, create a crisis. This day. Will you this day obey me? Will you this day do what I want over what you want? Will you this day overcome your fear by faith and do what I want you to do? He's great at doing it. He, he works it into our lives. He works uh, ways to bring us to that crisis again and again. He's God. He's, he's good at what he does. And he says this. He says, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. You see, when he asks you to do something and you're thinking, I can't do this. This is impossible. And you say, but Lord, if that's what you want, I'm going to do it. You know what? The faith is much more precious than gold that perisheth. It's not just something that happens and passes. It's something real. It's something for now. It's something that he has done in your life. And, and, and you get to reap the rewards of it. Hannah Hernard, <clears throat> um, in, her, in her book, Hinds Feet in High Places, has this wonderful picture that as she goes through this pathway to the high places, uh, every now and again there's a test. And at the end of every test there's a sacrifice and she reaches down and picks up a stone and puts it in a little pouch and carries it with her. The testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. That's what it is. Do you know when God comes to you and says to you, will you? And you say yes. You don't just win. You please him. You please him and you earn rewards. What's he asking you to do? What's he asking of you today? What's he asking that you would actually do for him? What's he asking you to will to do? Because Israel would not, so he couldn't protect them. Every time you say yes and do, you know what he does? 
He's pleased and you get reward. And every time you say no, there's a cost. He doesn't, he doesn't swing in and, you know, and, and wreck your life. He doesn't work like that. He just lets the cost of disobedience be its own reward. And you see, it's a pathway, and you go on that pathway, and that pathway leads you to places that you'd rather not be, that you'd rather not go. But it starts in that place where you would not. So Jesus weeps because he can see Jerusalem. He can see it being broken down. He can see the Roman soldiers setting fire to it. He can see them taking the, 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 the stones apart to get the gold. But he can see beyond that. He can see this people becoming a vagabond people. A people that wander the earth with no homeland, no nation of their own. A people that go get cast into the far corners of the earth and, and are persecuted everywhere they went. Oh, listen, Hitler is probably the, the depths of that persecution. But Hitler wasn't the first one to persecute the Jews, and he won't be the last. They went from nation to nation to nation, and they, were, they would leave everything and move on, and leave everything and move on. A people hated. Why? Because they're loved of God. And they wouldn't let him protect them. They would not. Now listen. We want to be better than that, don't we? What is he asking you to do? What is he asking you to yield to him in? Don't just kind of put it on the long fingers. You may have done that in the past with this thing. But don't do it now. What is he asking you to surrender to him? What is he asking you to yield to him in? Will you just say yes, Lord? I guarantee it might look like you're going to die. But you won't. You live. In fact, you never really start living till you start living that way. You never really start living till you start living that surrendered life, that life where you give in to him, where you let him have his way. Just, just yield to him. You say, I can't. He doesn't expect that you can. You see, all he wanted Israel to do was to let him gather them as a hand doth gather her chicks. Let him put his wings over them and protect them. Just come under his wings. Just come into that place of surrender where you let him have his way. I mean, that's a very attractive place, isn't it? What is it that you think you know better than him in? Would you just yield? Would you just let go? Would you just say, okay, Lord, I'm not able, but I'm trusting you and I'm putting myself under your wings. I'm going to ask you to protect me. You see, under his wings, there's protection from so much outside his wings. There's no protection. God doesn't have to judge us in the sense that he sends lightning bolts from heaven. All he has to do is let us wander from his wings. And when we wander like that, it just gets pretty bad. Don't do that. Come under his wings, Lord, whatever you want. Lord, I'm not able. Lord, help me. Lord, make me willing. 
But oh Lord, don't don't let me out from under your wings. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to be out from under your protection. I don't want to miss my moment. I don't want to miss my day. Listen, every day that God speaks to you is your day. That's the day you need to respond. You need to set a pattern of life where you respond and you say yes. And if you've gotten it wrong, you know what? You're still breathing. Turn back. As long as you're still breathing this time, turn back. But don't miss the moment. As God speaks to you, say yes, Lord. Israel missed their moment. This was the day. This was the day all of their history was pointing to. And they missed it. And by the end of the week, the Pharisees and a group of people are crying, crucify him, crucify him. And he's gone. And they've dealt with the situation, but they haven't dealt with anything. Because you never do when you refuse God. So listen, whatever it is that he's saying to you, say yes. Let him have his way. Let's stand for prayer.